Have you ever felt a twinge of worry about AI taking over your job or diluting your creativity? Well, what if you could turn that fear into creative fuel? We've just published an amazing new ebook called The Four Keys to Success in an AI World. And this is more than just a guide. It's a deep exploration into the human skills that AI can't touch. The skills that are essential for standing out and thriving, no matter how much technology evolved. We're talking about real differentiators here like creativity, emotional intelligence, critical thinking, and much more. Inside, you'll find actionable insights and strategies to develop these skills, whether you're a creative person, a business person, or just simply someone who loves personal development. This isn't a story about tech taking over. It's a story of human creativity thriving alongside AI. Picture this, AI as your creative co-pilot, not just as a tool, but a collaborator that enhances your unique human skills. The Four Keys ebook will show you exactly how to do that and view AI in a new way that empowers you instead of overshadows you. Transform your creative potential today. Head over to unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys. Use the number four, K-E-Y-S. That's unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys and download your free copy. We are not, none of us are Steve Jobs. None of us are Gates. None of us are like the other. And it is our origins and originality. It's our choices and the consequences of those choices. It's who we are. And then our environment, and if we're a business person, the people that work with us, our customers, our partners, all of that makes every situation unique. I always talk about this example that life and entrepreneurship is not like going to Ikea and getting a, a bookcase with uh, instructions of how to put it together. There are no two exact bookcases. Because there are no two situations that are exactly alike. Nothing in the world is alike. So by accepting that fact that nothing is alike, we have to accept that the context of situations and who we are, and we have to build our own way of winning. I'm Srini Rao, and this is the Unmistakable Creative Podcast, where you get a window into the stories and insights of the most innovative and creative minds who've started movements, built thriving businesses, written best-selling books, and created insanely interesting art. For more, check out our 500-episode archive at unmistakablecreative.com. Doing creative work can be kind of lonely, and that's why we built the Unmistakable Listener Tribe. The tribe is a community for professionals to connect and support each other. Everything is designed to help you grow your business and share what's working and what isn't. And that's true whether you're a business owner or an artist. You'll get access to feedback, live conversations with guests, and so much more. By joining the tribe, you become part of a community of creators who all support each other, and it's completely free. Hopefully, I'll see you there. Visit unmistakablecreative.com slash tribe to join. Again, that's unmistakablecreative.com slash tribe. Sid, welcome to the Unmistakable Creative. Thanks so much for taking the time to join us. Thank you for having me. Yeah, it is my pleasure. So you're actually back here for a second time because you have a new book out called You Are Not Them, all of which we will get into. But before we get into the concepts of the book, uh, I want to start by asking you, what is one of the most important things that you learned from one or both of your parents that have influenced and shaped who you've become and what you've ended up doing with your life? Um, interesting questions. There's a thousand of them. <laughs> um, I'll, 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 I'll tell you one that is, uh, that is probably an unlikely one, uh, but I have, uh, I have somehow embraced it. 
Uh, I have hemophilia, which is a genetic disease, uh, a blood disease. And um, from very young age, uh, obviously, I had uh, trouble because uh, I couldn't play with people. You know, there could be uh, bleeding and all that sort of stuff. So uh, I was, uh, at, a, uh, at a lack of a better word, I was pampered in a way uh, to, uh, to be contained. Uh, and uh, and my mother uh, always uh, used to say that you don't have a disease, you have a deficiency. Uh, and I was puzzled. What is what's the difference? What's you know? It's a disease. Uh, but as I grew up, uh, I I, I kind of learned, uh, or, or 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 I built this perspective of it that a deficiency. Uh, is the lack of something, uh, one thing, not everything. Uh, and when there is a lack, uh, there is a, an overcoming or fulfilling that lack, uh, as opposed to when there is a disease uh, that doesn't have a cure, then you're stuck. Uh, and I'm not sure if my mother meant it that way, but that's the way I took it. And, and that perspective, I think, has... Uh, has helped me a lot in my uh, in my early age. Yeah, how did you overcome that lack in childhood, particularly when you're a kid who can't do a lot of the things that many children can do, like go out and play? Because from what I understand of hemophilia, basically, if you get cut or something or bruised, the bleeding is just nonstop. Correct? Uh, correct. Uh, the the problem is not the the cutting as much as it is internal bleeding. So. Let's say you hit your uh, your leg on a on a table or something, uh, and and you get the little black and brown or, or black and blue, and then it goes away. Uh, that black and blue is a reflective of a little internal bleeding of small veins that uh, um, you know that that have been uh, affected. Uh, for for hemophiliacs, that bleeding doesn't stop. So when it gets black and blue, that means that it's it's getting well. That means the body is reacting and 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 correcting the bleeding problem. Uh, for hemophilus, that doesn't happen. So the main problem is internal bleeding um, in, in joints, or you know, uh, mostly in joints, basically. Uh, yeah. So now the question of uh, how did that help, or how did that fulfill that deficiency? I think um, it it, uh, it helped me to think this way. I may not be able to be Kobe Bryant, but I can own a, a baseball team. <laughs> uh, I may not be something, but I could be something else that uh, that 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 may be even better. Uh, so not to look at, uh, you know, others and say, hey, they have these seven things they play with and I must have the seven, the same seven things was to learn that there are a lot of things in the world and a lot of passions that I would I, I can create. And it is my uniqueness that fulfills that lack, essentially. Yeah. So why do you think it is that so many people see their own deficiencies as limitations and how do they overcome those deficiencies? Well, uh, you know, I think uh, we have uh, we have a society uh, that puts us in boxes. Uh, 
I mean, look what's going on in the in the politics of our days now. You're either for person A or person B. Uh, you're either in this bucket or that bucket. You you have uh, uh, and, and and then you fall in that in, in that structure, uh, and then everything else is stereotyped and and, and so forth. So. Uh, when our uh, our rewards are, uh, you know, I don't know why we're uh, we're using basketball analogies today, but when the rewards or the success is if uh, we have someone like uh, LeBron James and we pay him 150 million or something like that, and th- and that is success, then everybody tries to kind of fit in that mold. Uh, that you could see across the board in terms of uh, our politics, in terms of our in terms of how we define success and so forth. And I think uh, the problem is uh, that having that perspective uh, forces us to see success uh, in a very defined way that has been provided to us by by others. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So speaking of, of boxes and definitions of success that are provided by others, did your parents encourage any particular career paths? Was it sort of, you know, like the typical Indian kid gets, you know, doctor, lawyer, engineer, or were they open-minded about what you could possibly do? Uh, I don't think they forced me into anything. Um, there was only one time that, that my father wrote me a letter. Um, you know, I'm originally from Iran and I, uh, I, I migrated to us when I was 16 years old. Uh, and that was through some troubling, uh, period in Iran. So my parents couldn't come and visit and I didn't go back, uh, for over a couple of decades. Uh, so I, uh, I only had one, uh, one letter from my father. And no, in those days, there wasn't email and anything. So it was slow mail that took, you know, weeks to get to me. Um, and, and it was the time that I decided not to pursue my PhD. Uh, and, uh, and, and I had a great job. I was on a path to become a partner of a consulting firm, making a lot of money. And, uh, and my dad said, don't leave your PhD. And he had like a three page argument. Uh, and my response was that one day when you come here, you'll see that I will have 20 PhDs working for me. Uh, and I did that. But today I understand that that perhaps he was right. I, I, I shortchanged myself. Yeah. Uh, when you leave you know, a country, particularly in a situation that was in the one that you're in and you migrate, at, particularly at the age of 16, what does that do for your sense of identity? And what did you find difficult about adapting to American culture uh, coming at that age? And how did this end up impacting your relationship with your parents being so far away? Um, uh, well, again, I came about three years before the revolution in Iran, which completely uh you know shuffled the deck if you would in terms of uh the society its priorities uh, and all of that uh so uh, uh it was it was it was a changing time uh, altogether um now for me uh, it wasn't that difficult uh it wasn't that difficult and I think it's because of the background and the attitude that I had. The difficulty was not to uh, adjust to the culture. Uh, it was uh, to uh, to adjust uh, to uh, 
the new me, if that makes sense, which was a lot more free. As I said, I was pretty contained when I was uh, when I was a child, and here I had lots of freedom. Uh, I was on my own, uh, and I had to make decisions. Uh, I had to make choices uh, in terms of how I spend my money, who my friends are, uh, what I do, what I don't do. There was nobody to tell me, you know, don't go play in the you know thing or, or don't do this and that. Uh, so all of those uh, were the experiences that I think actually helped me build my character. Now, uh, I am in favor of, of, of kids uh, at, at the young age uh, having the experience that I had. Uh, because I think it builds character very quickly. But uh, that means that uh, that they have to have some sort of a foundation uh, of beliefs, uh, of, of self-reliance uh, before uh, they do that. Uh, it also uh, provides a danger that, that people could go wrong. I mean, it's easy to get involved in drugs. It's easy to get off the rail. Uh, so there is a danger, but I believe that it worked for me. Uh, to build my character and and to and, and because of the revolution, I was left with hey uh, the 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 security blanket that I had in terms of uh, my parents in terms of funding and all all of those were gone uh, and I was left swimming in the ocean uh, and i had to I had to get to the other way other side yeah. uh, just out of curiosity, do you have children? I do not I have a dog okay. <laughs> <laughs> Because I, I I was curious, you know, regardless what advice you would give to parents who are listening to this based on your own experience about how to cultivate that self-reliance in their own kids without shipping them off to some other country. Don't underestimate, don't underestimate your children. Don't try to box them into who you are. Uh, you know, we have, and I've seen this uh, in a lot of, uh, you know, I'm not a parent, but, but, uh, you know, so I'm afraid always of dishing out advice. But since you asked, I will dish it out uh, and, and expose myself to judgment. Uh, but uh, my, my feeling is that kids uh, have a lot, uh, a lot inside them. They, they can think, they can evolve, uh, and they will, uh, they will have choices and they will make those choices uh, in their way. If you force them uh, into the choices that you think are well, because uh, you as a parent or, or anybody, uh, we have certain perspectives. Uh, we had shortcomings in our childhood. Uh, we had desires that we wanted to you know, think, do things or accomplish things that we couldn't. And we just want to transfer those desires into our kids. And by transferring those we have replaced their desires with ours, their capabilities with ours. It's kind of like providing them with a crutch that doesn't allow them to build the muscles that they need to walk and run. So, mm. uh, yes, we do need to have guidance, uh, but we should not replace their, their inspirations and aspirations with, with ours. As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right. Over 70 million decision makers all in one place. 
all the big wigs, then medium wigs, also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard. But now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, bit to get 30, bit to get 20, 20, 20, bit to get 20, 20, bit to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Let's talk about aging. It's inevitable, right? But what if I told you there's a new way to age led by Solgar Cellular Nutrition? They believe, and I do too, that you can transform the way you age cell by cell with the power of cellular nutrition. As we age, our cellular function declines. Your regular multivitamins and minerals might not be enough to combat these age-related declines, and that's where Solgar Cellular Nutrition comes in. It's formulated with targeted cellular nutrients that work with your body's natural processes deep inside your cells to help you fight cellular decline and promote cell health across three benefit areas. It supports cell energy, repair, and vitality, muscle strength, and even glutathione production to help protect cells. So let's own our healthy aging narrative. Visit CellularNutrition.Solgar.com to learn more. Again, that's CellularNutrition.Solgar.com to learn more. Solgar Cellular Nutrition. We go cell deep. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Well, as somebody who decided not to pursue a PhD, I have to ask you about education because you're also an entrepreneur. Um, what do you think the, the role of formal education is in today's society, like specifically for you know careers? Because I think you hear two sides of this coin of, you know, oh, you know, entrepreneurs don't need to go to college. And at the same time, you talked about building character. And I can tell you from my experience that college definitely was a character building experience. I don't think it has anything to do with my career, but it's hard to down, you know, downplay the value that I got from the experience. 
Um, <clears throat> that's uh, that's an excellent uh, observation. Yes, college builds character. But let's let's look at the statistics on the other side because I think this is another one of those uh, things that people. Uh, I, I call it torturing the, the data. They torture the data to admit to what they want. Uh, if you look at all the people that have been uh, that have been successful, and people use Bill Gates and Elon Musk. By the way, Elon Musk dropped out of the PhD program, and not earlier, uh, or, or others. Uh, if you if you count them, uh, there are a few. And if you look at how many people are college dropouts and didn't get an education and look at their financial success or personal success, there are many. Uh, so statistically, uh, the successes are uh, truly insignificant. Now, can mm -hmm. you have somebody that without a college education can succeed? Of course. But look at all those guys. Bill Gates reads 7 to 14 books a week. Yes. Yeah. Uh, if you, if you educate yourself, doesn't matter how you educate yourself, because here's the thing. The fact of the matter is the more knowledge you have, the less risk you face. Risk mm -hmm. is reduced by the amount of knowledge, capability, and competency. Entrepreneurs are not risk takers. Entrepreneurs are risk navigators. And one of the ways they navigate risk is by gaining intelligence and knowledge to be able to navigate around risk, not to just boldly jump into risk. That's not entrepreneurship, that's foolishness. No. Okay, so you used Bill Gates and Elon as examples. Uh, I happen to know Elon's ex-wife who was a guest here on the podcast. And there are two things I, I want to ask you about. One is, is, you know, you're talking about Bill Gates dropping out of college, but we can't ignore the fact that Bill Gates didn't just drop out of college. He dropped out of Harvard. And he also happened to come from a very wealthy, you know, well-off family that's upper middle class. And I, I think that to me, and I know you talk about this later in the book about, you know, generalized advice. And, you know, we tend to use outliers as role models for possibility. But I think one of the things that happens when we do that is we overlook context. Um, so, you know, even if we use these guys as examples, I think in my mind, it's dangerous to say, okay, like these guys can do it. So can I, because there are a lot of variables at play that, you know, you can't replicate. So what is the role of context in your mind in all of this? Uh, well, the role of context is, is, is huge. Uh, this is again, uh, and, and, and you mentioned we'll, we'll, we can talk about the book, but the title of the book is you're not them. Uh, and the whole premise is we are not, none of us, uh, are, are, are Steve Jobs. None of us are Gates. None of us are, uh, none of us are, are like the other. Uh, and it is our origins and originality. It's our choices and the consequences of those choices. It's who we are. And then our environment and, uh, and, and if we're a business person, the people that work with us, our customers, our partners, all of that makes every situation unique. Uh, I'm known, uh, you know, I, I always talk about this, uh, this example that life and entrepreneurship is not like going to Ikea and getting a, a bookcase with uh, instructions of how to put it together. There are no two exact bookcases because there are no two situations that are exactly alike. Nothing in the world is alike. So by accepting that fact, that nothing is alike, we have to accept that 
the context of situations and who we are and 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 are again if you're wealthy or poor if we're uh, uh, athletic or not if we're introvert or extrovert if we're all of those makes us who we are and we have to build our own way of winning our own way of uh, of 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 building our own next uh, next version mm-hmm. so does uh, does context matter it matters hugely if we are aware of it if yeah. we are mindful of it the problem is again we we use these outliers because they're good stories they make you feel good how uh, oh, there is the american dream the american dream is not necessarily elon musk the american dream is all over the country it's uh, in the guy who has a donut shop and in, in somebody who uh, who graduates for the first time as a, as an immigrant it's uh, it's it's all over the place the american dream has to do with our desire at core to be an entrepreneur and let me define that an entrepreneur in my opinion is somebody who exchanges something they have for something better knowing that there is risk now that's something better could be a better life for our children it could be uh, uh it could be uh it could be uh taking our kids on a vacation uh it could be building a church it could be giving back to society or it could be making millions of dollars it is on our dna regardless of what our origins were regardless of where we were born regardless of the color of our skin or the color of our eyes or uh, or, or any any situations that we've been in we have the talent and the desire to take what we have whatever situation and exchange that with something better knowing that there is a risk that we may not be able to do that yeah so <clears throat> you know i i know i've interviewed before you've written another book and one of my my sort of first questions as an author and also somebody now who was running a company why write a book? I mean, you're a venture capitalist. You probably don't do this for money. Like there's no, you know, books are a shit way to make money. You and I both know that. Um, what prompted your your desire to write this book? Um, you you are absolutely correct. Pro- probably they are uh, uh, a shit way minus 100 <laughs> in terms of uh, making money. They're, uh, they don't make money. Uh, so uh, my first book came out of a frustration that, uh, as you mentioned, I've made investments in a lot of companies. Uh, I've run a number of companies, built and sold companies. Uh, and uh, I've also advised a lot of Fortune uh, executives at Fortune 500 or Fortune 100, uh, along with uh, you know early stage uh, entrepreneurs. My first book was out of a frustration uh, that I could see people getting hooked, getting addicted to the sameness of where they are and uh, and then uh, falling for a lot of hooplas. Uh, for example, data analytics was the thing that was just brilliant and how oh, big data is this and you know all of that, which is important. Uh, but what I saw was a lot of hoopla a lot of a uh, lot of uh, addiction to sameness uh, in a lot of companies, big or small, and that intrigued me to write the first book, which took a few years. Uh, but this one, and and when I wrote it, I noticed that a lot of younger entrepreneurs 
uh, and, and looked at that book not as a business book, but as something that implies and impacts their own life. So in the past three or four years, mostly, I have been focused on three things. I teach at the university, I, I teach at USC, uh, University of Southern California. Uh, I make investments in early stage companies. Uh, and I have also focused on writing and, and speaking engagements. And if you notice, they're all kind of connected because I don't want to be, I want to be a practitioner uh, that, that feels the pain at the same time that I talk about, uh, uh, you know, the pain and, and, and my perspective. So the reason for writing the book was this. In my uh, the deepest, deepest, uh, if you would, thoughts, I have come to the conclusion that we are all an entrepreneur. And, and the book, in the book, I talk about why I believe this, that we are all on, an entrepreneur. And the path to our future as a country, as people, globally, however you want to look at it, is to be able to take that talent that's within all of us, which is a desire to exchange what we have with something better. It is that path, it is that talent that would help us take on the next few decades. Because I believe we are at a crossroad that is an amazing opportunity ahead. That mm. is an amazing opportunity ahead. And and we should not leave that change, change to chance. Yeah. So you open the book early on by saying neither life nor entrepreneurship come with a cookbook filled with generic recipes. How-tos are designed to provide you with step-by-step -step in style instructions of how you can accomplish a task, but entrepreneurship is not a task, neither is life. And uh, that was probably my favorite line from the entire book because, you know, I think that when people you know, read books uh, like yours or listen to podcasts like this one, they're looking for a map. They're looking for the step-by-step -step descriptions of how to do exactly what you're teaching them to do. Why is that and how do they stop? Um, uh, well, I have nothing against how-tos. <laughs> Uh, I have something about replacing for how-tos, for creativity, innovation, uh, for uh, for replacing who you are or thinking that you can replace who you are with somebody else. So, yes, you do need to know how accounting works. If there are methods to market and, and sell, uh, all of those are how-tos of entrepreneurship and business. But... They are how-tos that are situational. That is, uh, I believe that leadership or an entrepreneurship are kind of two sides of a, of a of a coin, two twin brothers, however you want it, you want to call it. But I, I believe if you wanted to lead from place A to place B, whatever that is, whatever your desires are, you have to have situational awareness, and that means that no. Two situations are alike. People are different. And as we said, because they're different, the situation that you're dealing with is different. So you may be able to learn from others, but you are not others. You may be able to see what they would do in some circumstance, but you have to think about this. The circumstance that you're, you are in is very different than the circumstance that they were in. We're not Bill Gates, none of us. Her, her mom was sitting on, I think, IBM board of directors. Her, you know, she, she, he came from an extremely wealthy family. He was able to write a $50,000 check 
to buy some technology, the core of the DOS operating system. And at that time in 1970, some 76, 77, $50,000 was a lot of money. None of us could yeah. do that. Yeah. Very few could. But that doesn't mean there are not others who have succeeded tremendously. Because mm -hmm. they used their situation to their advantage. Yeah. So <clears throat> another thing that you say is that when you confine your abilities with words and preconceived de definitions, you limit the vastness of your talents. And to me, that that was, you know, sort of fascinating because I, I was writing this morning about the fact that so often, uh, speaking of words, my roommate and I were talking about this is, you know, people will look at a job the title, but they very rarely consider what's involved in the description, right? So people like the idea of the title of being an author, but then if they look at the work, the work is nowhere as near as glamorous as the title. The work is, you know, sitting in a room writing something that nobody will give a shit about resisting the temptation to throw your laptop against the wall. Same thing with being doctors, right? Nobody thinks about the fact that, wait a minute, yeah, you get all this prestige and status and money, but you spend all your time in a hospital, you're in a school for 10 years. So <clears throat> how do people not confine things with preconceived definitions or let go of those definitions that limit their talents? Uh, a fact is that we all have biases. That's a fact. And the fact is that, uh, that uh, there is no zero bias situation. Uh, but uh, we also are able to dispute ourselves and and look at those biases uh, with an objective perspective by changing our frame of reference all the time. So uh, as you mentioned, I, I, I begin the book with this idea that you are, you, if you want to be embracing something new, you have to be an unwritten letter. You have to be, uh, you have to be a blank page that you can write on. Because if a page is filled, there is nothing you can write on it except, uh, you know, if you write over other words, it would be a mishmash of things, a confusion. To be able to consume new ideas, you need to first be able to open, to be open to those new ideas. Now, afterwards, you can, you can mishmash it like a meat grinder into the rest of your who you are and grind it and pick the pieces of it. But first, you have to be an unwritten letter. And, mm. and that means that you have to be ready to be provoked, ready to move from where you are in terms of what your thinking and perspectives and definitions of life is to be able to see the other side of the definitions. See, again, the problem is that a lot of times we confine ourselves with some definitions. And I get this argument about Sid entrepreneurship is about this or that or that or that, because that's the way, you know, people say, well, if uh, Elon Musk is an entrepreneur and sure as hell, I'm not. Well, that's his kind of entrepreneur. You could be your kind of entrepreneur. I even claim that somebody like uh, Mother Teresa or, or Gandhi or, uh, uh, or Martin Luther King are entrepreneurs. They just exchanged what they have with something better in their own definition. Mm -hmm. And it is that definitions that you build, which would make you have a drive. Yeah. 
So I, I love this idea of an unwritten letter and, you know, your own definition. But you also say that entrepreneurs get bombarded with generic advice all the time. Embrace failure, follow your passion, don't win and how to say no. Balance work and life, build an effective team, be curious. And my personal favorite, think big. Generic one-liners may sound inspiring, but are often non-practical. And, you know, I, I think the reason that struck me so much was because half the damn self-help books written out there are filled with nothing but, un, you know, impractical generic one-liners that sound inspiring, but actually fail in practice. <laughs> uh, well, again, unfortunately, that's, uh, that's what the, uh, the market wants. Uh, how-to books sell uh, a lot. And now we have people that uh, that are selling uh, approaches and how to sell how-to books. So, uh, you know, somebody researches for a few days about how to make this or how to do that, and boom, you know, you have a how-to book. Uh, because, because people consume how-to books. They are looking for a cookbook to build their next version. They don't want to build a, a boat or a ship. They just want to ride in a ship. Uh, but Hey, if it's somebody else's boat, it's a rental. It's not your boat. And when you hit, a, a, a some sort of a, uh, storm, it's going to fall apart. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, well, and, and that's what happens. But, and, and that's a lot of times that's why they're not practical. Uh, but people like those one liners. So here's my belief. And this is where, I, you know, people tell me the book is motivational. Uh, or my talks are motivational. Uh, my point is that I cannot motivate you. I cannot motivate anybody. Only you can motivate you. Yeah. I can provoke you. And that is my objective. My objective is provoke you. If I just give you one-liners here and there, and you are, you, you are interested, intrigued for 10 minutes, that is not lasting motivation. A motivation that does not result, does not lead to a result, to an outcome, is a waste of emotion. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. 
So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Let's talk about aging. It's inevitable, right? But what if I told you there's a new way to age led by Solgar Cellular Nutrition? They believe, and I do too, that you can transform the way you age cell by cell with the power of cellular nutrition. As we age, our cellular function declines. Your regular multivitamins and minerals might not be enough to combat these age-related declines, and that's where Solgar Cellular Nutrition comes in. It's formulated with targeted cellular nutrients that work with your body's natural processes deep inside your cells to help you fight cellular decline and promote cell health across three benefit areas. It supports cell energy, repair, and vitality, muscle strength, and even glutathione production to help protect cells. So let's own our healthy aging narrative. Visit CellularNutrition.Solgar.com to learn more. Again, that's CellularNutrition.Solgar.com to learn more. Solgar Cellular Nutrition. We go cell deep. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Mm. Well, speaking of defining success, you you talk about this idea of uh, coming up with your own personal philosophy. You say to own your future, start by carving your personal philosophy, a philosophy that works for you and you alone. Realize that other entrepreneurs enjoy their own viewpoints, perspectives that are anchored in their core beliefs, influenced by their origins, experiences, and capabilities, philosophies that fit the environment and times they live in, philosophies that guide their choices, but not necessarily yours. So how does one come up with their own personal philosophy? Um, so again, the first thing is, uh, wipe clean, uh, what, uh, what, you know, we'll come back to it, but first we got to wipe it clean. Uh, the reason is again, that unwritten letter argument, uh, and then try to examine the different situations, starting with your origins and, and, and defining your originalities, uh, and then be prepared to evolve that over and over. This is not, Hey, this is my philosophy. Uh, this is not, you're not building a Bible. You're not building a, you know, a prophecy. 
you're building something that is an operating system that evolves and should evolve with time. As you learn, you adjust it. As you mm-hmm. read books, as you read those how-to things, you may think a piece of it and say, hmm, that fits me. That fits who I am. And that's okay. So your philosophy is not a static thing. It's a, it's a, it's an ongoing, evolving thing. And, uh, and it drives a few things. If you have your own philosophy, it drives your strategies. It drives your decisions. It drives how you communicate. It drives how you execute. It influences what you measure as success. And all of that means a good business process. Hmm. Well, speaking of navigating, you use this metaphor of a pilot uh, where you talk about the pilot, the entity, the environment and the external pressure. Can you expand on what you meant by that? Sure. So uh, in order to, uh, again, build your own philosophy, I suggest there are a few things that you should consider. And uh, and as you've noticed in the book, I don't say you should be this or that. I say, here's your options. Uh, here's a menu of things. This is what's important. And let's look at it from this perspective. One of those things is being a pilot. Uh, another one is being an ocean or uh, be a dancer and be authentic and those things. But specifically about being a pilot, let's look at risk because risk is one of those things that is at the core of every decision. Every decision. You go out the door, you want to make a right turn or left turn, you're taking a risk. Uh, there is now the, the, the dimensions of risk change, but there is risk in every decision. There is, there would be no life without decisions and no decisions without risk. So I use the analogy of a pilot. Let's consider a pilot. A pilot, uh, that, uh, that, that flies a plane from point A to point B across the globe from one city to another city, uh, always checks or has certain, uh, certain things, a checklist, if you would, that, that measures the risk. How is the weather? Is the engine all clean? Is the, uh, is the electrical system work? Does the cockpit work? Uh, do we have the, uh, uh, the emergency doors operating properly? All of those things are things that are checklist for a pilot. Now, that's a commercial pilot. That's somebody who does things over and over in the same way. Now, one thought that, that I want people to continue to think about in this analogy is, who takes more risks, the pilot or the passenger? The mm. pilot or the passenger? The passenger is also taking a risk by being on that, but they don't go over a checklist. It's the pilot's role, the leader. So in life, sometimes we're pilots and sometimes we're passengers. When we are a passenger, we've delegated our risk management, risk navigation to somebody else. Now, we have commercial pilots, very defined, very structured risk measurement. And those are like corporate folks. If you're working for a big company, somebody else has defined those things, and your process is very similar. 
perspective, manage the risk, define the boundaries and say, here's a checklist of things, check mark all of these and you're fine. But if you're an entrepreneur that is that is working on a new idea or, or, or outside of that corporate environment, then you're like a fighter jet pilot. You have all of those normal commercial list checklists that you have to do, but you also have others shooting at you and you have limited resources or fuel and you have most importantly a mission. Hmm. And it's all of those that defines or redefines the way you take risk or approach risk. Wow. Okay, so let, let's look at that other metaphor of an ocean. And you know, when you talk about this idea of being an ocean, you kind of break it up into three different categories, the provider, the connector, and the energizer. So let's, let's think about an ocean. And, uh, and I, I, I mean, uh, what, what does an ocean do? An ocean uh, is an ecosystem. Within the ocean, uh, you have all sorts of plants and fishes and, uh, and, 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 and they live and they, they connect, they're connected to, together. Uh, it's the ocean that connects them together. An ocean provides them with an ecosystem, an environment to survive, to live and to thrive and to, uh, to replicate, to, to grow. Uh, uh, an ocean also, uh, creates an energy, uh, either uh, with its relationship to the sun uh, as regular waves are created uh, or in participation with the wind as we have tropical winds and, you know, and sometimes uh, even uh, it creates massive, massive uh, waves and uh, that, that could be pretty destructive as, as tsunamis. So uh, at the same time, there's another characteristic. An ocean could be really, really amazingly uh, soft and calm uh, and beautiful, or it could be, uh, it could be uh, angry, uh, stormy, dangerous. Uh, so there's, there's, there's that oceanness that has all these characteristics to it. I call that the oceanness characteristic. In an entrepreneurship, unless you try to build whatever, think about what you want to sell, and uh, and design it yourself, make it yourself, market it to yourself, sell it to yourself, buy it yourself, and use it yourself. You need somebody else, and that's your ecosystem. Your ecosystem may be as wide as a Microsoft with seventeen million people in its partner network and so forth, or it could be five people, or it could be three people. It's your oceanness, how you define your ecosystem, how you act as an ocean. It's not the size that matters. It's the attitude that matters. Within your ecosystem, are you a provider? Are you energizing? Are you connecting? Because in any business circumstance, and to be honest with you in life, you're not alone. And it is your ecosystem that lifts you or makes you be stagnant. Yeah. So 
one of the things you talk about when you talk about authenticity, you say that to be you is not about blind acceptance of incompetence or being delusional about <laughs> your greatness. It's about developing and evolving confidence, not intolerable arrogance. It's about knowing and wisdom. It's about discovery of your hidden talents. So, you know, I, I think that, that that struck me because of the fact that there's a lot of blind acceptance. There's a lot of delusion about people's greatness. I think, like you said, we all have biases. Um, how do you, one, you know, recognize those biases or become more aware of them uh, and then, you know, start to discover your hidden talents based on those? Um, uh, you know, the, uh, the thing that, uh, that triggered that, that whole thought. I used to teach philosophy a long, long time ago, and I was a, uh, I, I am a fan, I am whatever you, you want to call it. So philosophy is kind of in, uh, embedded in me. Uh, and one of the things that I've always seen and has bugged me is this idea of acceptance. That is, we have to accept. Uh, to be you is to realize who you are, and that's who you are. Um, I, I think... A lot of times we don't really see who we are unless we begin to carve the first layers and the second layers, unless we're in situations that allow us to exercise our talents, our courage, uh, our capabilities. So accepting who you are in the non, in, in, in the context of this is the stagnation of this is who I am and I cannot be more. That just rubs me the wrong way. Because mm -hmm. I believe not only we can be more, we deserve to be more, and, and we should strive to be more because we have tremendous amount of creativity, innovation, capabilities, talents inside of us. So by accepting and kind of anchoring ourselves, chaining ourselves to a version of ourselves today, we are, we, we, we are limiting movement. Now, we have to realize the, if you would, the, the reality of who we are. That's perfectly fine. I am five foot three. I am not being, I'm not, I, I come from this family. I have this amount of resources. I have this level of education. All of those are fine. Those are realities. And it's okay to accept that those are our realities. But it is not okay to accept that we have a better reality that is awaiting us based on our choices and our ability to have wonder loss, to purposefully wonder for something new, something different, to improve our situation. Now, how do we do that? Again, it's a matter of disputing ourselves. That is, when we say, here's who I am, okay, here's who I am, but is this who I can be? Is this all yeah. I can be? So, yeah. That disputing all the time, that awareness of the fact that we are an entrepreneur all the time looking to exchange what we have with something better. The minute we stop looking to get something better, that's the stagnation. Hmm. Wow. So <clears throat> another thing you say, you go on to talking about this idea of the axiom of choices. And you basically break it up into five you know, different categories or, or what you call the you know, five pillars. And you say your axiom of choices offers avenues to express your genius. And you talk about these pillars, which are trust, courage, competence, uh, and situa situational awareness and variable communication. Can you expand on those and the role that they play? 
Sure. So uh, I, I call it axiom of choices because, uh, again, uh, it's not how to. And it's a series of choices that you, you have to be aware of that in your leadership, uh, in, in being an authentic leader, again, if you, if you are going from your origins to your originality, if you accept that you are not them, then you, everything you do will be in its best form when it is coming from your authentic you. So when it comes to leadership, when it comes to leadership, there are certain choices that you can make. And, and I've categorized them into those five uh, buckets, if you would, that you mentioned. First is trust. So in order to change anything, there has to be two things. One is severity of a situation. It's a severity means it is really bad or it's really good. The opportunity is immense or the dangers are immense. One is severity and the second is trust. If you want people to follow you as a leader, they have to realize that things are severe and then they have to trust that you are the one who would lead them to that better place. So, Trust is at the corner, is at the, at the center of leadership. Now, but there's not two-way trust. I say there's a three-way trust. The first way of trust is to trust yourself. If you don't trust yourself, nobody will trust you. Second is not to have them trust you, is to have you trust other people to build the ability to trust people to realize that you're not empowering them to do anything that they have that inherent power of innovation creativity accomplishment in them and then people will trust you so trust is at the cornerstone of leadership. Now, how you accomplish that, how you become trustworthy, begins with how you trust yourself. And how you do that is also anchored in another component that I talk about, which is the courage. We have to have the courage. A good leader has to have the courage to fail, to, to change, to evolve, to dispute itself herself, to listen, the courage to innovate, the courage to leave sameness for a better place. It also, then, if you want to trust yourself first and have others trust in you, competency is important. It's an illusion that, hey, uh, it's, you know, I did this well 20, 30 years ago. Yes, people may follow you. You may be doing things because people get a paycheck, because your father was the owner of the, uh, of the business. Uh, all of those reasons may, may create a leadership position for you. But for people to trust you, to follow you, for people to believe in your vision, uh, they, they need to realize that you are competent at what you do. And that competency is, goes a long way. That when they see you, they see you as somebody who understands their pain, 
who understands the pain of the market, the pain of the situation, and who is competent to tackle that situation. Not necessarily knowing all the little pieces of every situation, but the ability to realize when they don't know, when they need help, when they get, uh, they can delegate, who they, they delegate to. That is at the core of competency, which is the third thing that, that we talked about. And then we have this idea of situational awareness. We talked about that things are different in every person's life because of who we are, what we are, our business, the people involved, all of that. So it is important to be aware of the situations we're in. Sometimes, again, back to the ocean, sometimes like an ocean, we need to be calm. And sometimes we need to show a muscle. Sometimes it is important to communicate over and over. Sometimes it's, 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 it's important to realize that under COVID or some other crisis, certain behaviors are needed, even though we didn't. And you saw a lot of people uh, in the COVID situation uh, were able to evolve and change because they, uh, because they were able to adopt to the situations. Oh, we can't work from home because it's uh, too risky or we're exposed. Well, we could. And those who were not able to adjust to those, who didn't realize the situation and adjust to it, uh, uh, to find themselves at, uh, at, at, at the doors of demise. Now, yeah. the last thing is variable communication. And that is getting on a platform, using big words or complicated things doesn't work. Um, I, I, use, uh, I use the analogy of if you speak Chinese and I don't, I wouldn't understand what you're saying, regardless of how important it is, regardless of how critical it is, how timely it is. I wouldn't know how to follow you because I don't understand you. So at the cornerstone of leadership is the ability to have variable communication and be able to make sure that people understand because they have to understand before they can believe a vision. Hmm. Wow. Well, let's talk about failure in crisis. Uh, you brought up your crisis, COVID in particular, and the two things you say are failure is the bridge between the unknown and the known. When you perceive normal, you fear, you fail, and you regret. When abnormal, you fear, you fail, and you celebrate. And then you say crisis represents a deviation from the norm and requires important decisions. In life and in business, abnormalities are normal. Crisis exposes the uncertainty that is hidden at the center of everyday life and business decisions. And yet we do everything we can to avoid both crisis and failure. Um, so I think that inevitably when you do something that's never been done before, there's always going to be the risk of failure, particularly as an entrepreneur, how do you not let failure become your identity? Um, or how do you let, not let the circumstances that failure creates become your identity? Um, uh, that, that's an excellent question. Um, uh, we, we have, uh, we have different cultures. For example, the Silicon Valley culture uh, versus, you know, the, the, even look at California, the northern and the south part uh, have different approaches. In the northern part, the Silicon Valley culture, some say, oh, failure is a, is a badge of honor. That means you've tried. Uh, in a lot of places, failure is not. Uh, people look at you as a business person. Oh, the guy has failed and, you know, he doesn't know how to do things and so forth. So the environment 
naturally defines some of some of those. But I think the most important is our internal uh, approach to failure. If when something happens and I fail, uh, which we all do, if 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 we're if we're moving, if we're doing something, uh, we 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 will fail. Uh, and even if we don't move, uh, we have failed at doing <laughs> uh, and accomplishing. So failure is, is is a part of life. The question is, do we learn from those failures or not? If we don't, I call it a mistake because it continues. If we do, I don't call it a failure. I call it a learning experience. Now, a lot of people say fail often, fail fast. And what I've seen is that drives as a KPI or a key performance indicator some entrepreneurs to just chase failing. Because you told me to fail fast and fail often. So that must be a good thing. So I'm chasing to fail fast and fail often. No, we have to learn fast and learn often. And it's okay to learn from others and from other examples and from other people. But the key is to to learn. Now there is uh, th- there is another thing that I think is uh, is important to uh, to look at, and that's the idea of of nervousness. I also talk about nervousness, and I you know I, I say learn to be nervous. The art of nervousness. We are nervous when we are doing something that we haven't done before. You've been doing many, many podcasts for many years. The first time you did it, you were nervous. No. The second time you were nervous. But if you want to push the envelope and do something different and get better results, you have to stay nervous. Otherwise, it becomes a routine. The first time you drove a car, you were nervous. We are nervous when things are routine. We're not pushing are boundaries. So it's good to be nervous. A lot of times we're nervous because we're afraid of what the other side is. What if we fail? And then that's again is our perspective of failure. If we push it too far past our limitations and fail at what we expected to happen, is that our demise? Or is that a learning opportunity? Now, we're not intending to fail. And this is, this is a critical thing. Uh, no good business person, no good art, no good human being should strive to fail. That is not, yeah. that's not the, you know, the idea of failing fast means strive to fail. No, no, no. We strive to succeed, but we know that every success has failure embedded in it. You talked about crisis. The Chinese use two symbols to define crisis. One says opportunity, the other says danger. At the heart of every crisis, there is an opportunity and there is danger. And to be honest, every time we push our limit, we would potentially uh, create a crisis. There is a danger, there is an opportunity. Hmm. Wow. So I want to come full circle. We started out this conversation talking about how people define success for themselves. Over the course of your life, how has your own definition of success changed? Um, Obviously, 
um obviously in the younger uh younger days um i was more fascinated with uh uh with power uh with with money uh very early uh, stage obviously and as i said i got fascinated with philosophy and i started to read a lot of stuff and slowly my definition uh i guess shifted from uh from one dimensional uh perspective to harmony uh meaning that success doesn't have one dimension uh success is also situational um i am uh, uh, i think it's harmony not balance balance means there are two equal things on both sides of of the scale harmony means there are situations that you travel from one uh thing being more important than the other but they live in harmony so over time my definition i guess has has changed and you could see it in what i do now uh i am less intrigued uh by creating another company uh and and making more money than than i used to be uh i am uh, i am more intrigued by uh by being able to learn from people and i use the uh, the analogy of uh, uh there there is an indian word i believe in hindu called apguru apguru means the guru that is near me at that moment uh in other words it's not the guru that's important <laughs> it's us let me explain anything a bumper sticker on the back of a car a bank teller a person at starbucks your students your kids your wife your mother everything a book can be can be a teacher can be your guru if you are open to learning that what i have learned is is to be more and more uh open to learning because i think uh that has uh, that that helps me uh be a more rounded person and achieve that harmony that uh, that that i mentioned so the definition mm-hmm. of success to me today is if if i can and i mentioned the reason i wrote the book is if i can convey uh, this message uh, to people that you are capable regardless of your origins it is your originality that matters your authenticity it is how you make your choices it is not to avoid change because without change there are no choices if there was no change there wouldn't be a choice everything would be static it would always be the same you always have mcdonalds for lunch because there is no change so yeah. definition of success for me is when i get an email from somebody uh that says i've changed uh, I've, I've i've been impacted or a student after a few years sends me an email or calls me. that's my success now amazing so i have one final question for you which is how we finish all of our interviews with the unmistakable creative what do you think it is that makes somebody or something unmistakable their authenticity and the ability to not only explore that authenticity uh but be brave enough uh to put it out for for judgment now let me explain there is a play between judging and judgment 
judgment means people have biases. And when we judge, uh, when we have judgment or we look at things with the judgment, that means we're looking at it from our own lens, uh, with our own biases. But without judging, without comparing, uh, you can't make any decisions. You can't make choices. You have to say, do I like A more than B? Do I turn left or right? You have to choose. You have to judge. Is A better than B? So uh, to be un, 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 unmistakably creative is to be able to put yourself out and not be afraid of judgment. Mm. Wow. Wow. Uh, well, I can't thank you enough for taking the time to join us and share your insights and story and wisdom with us. I love conversations like this because you give us so much to think about. Um, I, mean, I feel like you go back and listen to something like this. There's just a lot to reflect on. Uh, so where can people find out more about you, uh, your work, the book and everything else that you're up to? Um, it is, uh, it's available on Amazon. Uh, and uh, again, uh, the name of the book is You Are Not Them. Uh, the authentic entrepreneur's way, um, and it's uh, in, in 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 multiple versions. We don't have the audio yet, but uh, uh, I'm not sure when it would be uh, uh, available. But the other formats are available across the globe, um, and uh, people, uh, if they get it, if they read it, if they like it or dislike it, either way, uh, as I mentioned, that's how I grow. So uh, reach out to me. Uh, I'm at Sid at Mohasip.com, my first name at my last name. Uh, and I would love to, uh, I would love to hear your thoughts. Uh, be my up guru as, uh, as you may. Uh, and, uh, and I am grateful for you giving me the opportunity to share my thoughts, my two cents, uh, uh with your audience. Awesome. And for everybody listening, we will wrap the show with that. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Unmistakable Creative Podcast. While you were listening, were there any moments you found fascinating, inspiring, instructive, maybe even heartwarming? Can you think of anyone, a friend or a family member who would appreciate this moment? If so, take a second and share today's episode with that one person because good ideas and messages are meant to be shared. Have you ever felt a twinge of worry about AI taking over your job or diluting your creativity? Well, what if you could turn that fear into creative fuel? We've just published an amazing new ebook called The Four Keys to Success in an AI World, and this is more than just a guide. It's a deep exploration into the human skills that AI can't touch, the skills that are essential for standing out and thriving no matter how much technology evolved. We're talking about real differentiators here like creativity, emotional intelligence, critical thinking, and much more. Inside, you'll find actionable insights and strategies to develop these skills, whether you're a creative person, a business person, or just simply someone who loves personal development. This isn't a story about tech taking over. It's a story of human creativity thriving alongside AI. Picture this, AI as your creative co-pilot, not just as a tool, but a collaborator that enhances your unique human skills. The Four Keys ebook will show you exactly how to do that and view AI in a new way that empowers you instead of overshadows you. Transform your creative potential today. Head over to unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys. Use the number four, K-E-Y-S. That's unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys and download your free copy.